Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. Hello, Milton. Hello. It is so cool to be here again, two weeks in a row. <laughs> behave yourself, behave yourself. <laughs> Did you? Jeez, I hope it delivers. <laughs> it is amazing to be here. And um, I loved being here last week. And um, one of our mates, I don't know if Fred mentioned too, did you mention where Gabs was? But, yeah, there's a, ch- there's a church plant plant. One of Gabs' mates and one of our mates that we've been mates with for many years, is uh, they are launching a church and pioneering out there. And when, when Gabe heard of that, he, Mr. Phillips got FOMO. So he can't miss a party. There's free lamb on the spit. That's why he's not here. I know, I know, but it's amazing to be here, and um, I love every opportunity I get to be here, and uh, we love what God is doing. Into the deep, you guys have got like cool signs and stuff. You guys are on the cutting edge, next level. But but we've spoken about Simon last week, and if you weren't here last week, let me give you a context because every year we start out and we have a vision Sunday, and it's not about a new vision or something brand new. It's about God speaking life into the things He's called us to, which are simple. Reach far, reach those far from Christ, reveal the love of Jesus and that love he has for them to raise people up in Christ, to see maturity come to the believers, to see maturity come to the church, and then to release wide for the kingdom, meaning this is not the kingdom of God. That is far too small an idea, a concept, something to live within. The church would go mad if this was the kingdom. This is the kingdom of God is every sphere, every sphere of life in this world that he says, I want to send out my disciples while that's falling apart, to extend the kingdom of God. Whether you're a doctor, whether you're an accountant, whether you're whatever you do in life, God is saying, actually, you're part of a kingdom, releasing wide story. We'll speak a little bit more about that as we go. But then God spoke a word to us of into the deep as I was meeting with one of the pastors in the area, and he just challenged me. He said, we stood up. He's a quiet guy. He's not a a very lots of words kind of guy. And he said, I feel like God's calling you to launch out into the deep. And as we looked at that scripture, we encountered this man named Simon, or Cephas, also known as Peter, later on. And, and Peter's get called, and there's this challenge. And as he's challenged to go into the deep, to put his little dinghy, his boat, into the deep, there's the reality is that there's danger in the deep. There's not just danger of capsizing or whatever it would be. He's an experienced fisherman. That probably wouldn't happen to him. But it's the danger of, imagine coming back as a fisherman, having caught nothing at night and catching zero the next month. Like the next day. It's like I put out twice in a day, I caught nothing. It's not good for your kind of rep. It's like you're going to go back to the fishing club, your name's off the board, you're no longer, you were on the board. Now you're not on the board anymore. It's fear of failure, it's all of that stuff. There's fear in the deep. And I realized for most people, I told someone the other day, I paddled out past the turning boy, went out towards the ships on my surf ski, and someone was like, that's my worst nightmare. Why? Not something sharks are going to eat. It's just not not going to happen. And then there's other things, but there's also the greatest catch in the deep, that when we put out beyond our fears, beyond our comfort zones, beyond our spaces, there are, there's a great catch. And the great catch is there. Why? Because Jesus is with us. And whether we're in a, a lion's pit like Daniel, whether we are Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego in a pit of fire, wherever we're at, as long as Jesus is with us, we're in the best place. And the possibilities change and everything changes. So that's what we're looking at. 
But today, as we understand that we're believing and we, we want to re-emphasize what it is and who it is God's called us to be. As we understand that God calls us to his story, Hudson Taylor puts it this way. He is working to advance his grace in us, his gospel through us, and his glory by us. He's poured his he's advancing his gospel in us. His, his grace is poured out in us and to us. And he says, I want you to be a part of the glory of God's story. Doing church together is not giving people entertainment on a Sunday. That is far too small. And, and if you want to do that, you can get that online. There's probably better preachers out there. Actually, I know they are. I can tell you who they are. Doing church is about signing up to something that is a real and alive and risky. Risky. Taking risks for Jesus. Saying, actually, the church is a place that people need to be called out. And we gather and we, we call each other out to more that God has for us. And we speak a word, I would not call you Millie at all. Vili, where are you? Like Mareka did. I, would call, I wouldn't want to do that in like a casual conversation. But then Brett speaks a word of encouragement because it's true, because God has it for you, because he says there's so much more for you in the story. And, and we come together and we get pulled into a story that is not our story, it's his story. We don't get to choose. And I want to tell you, as we've said it a hundred times before, and we'll say it again, there's no neutral gear in the church. I grew up in Durban like Gabe did. I had a three-liter Cortina Bucky that chewed petrol, and I knew I can get pretty much from the top of the Berea on Ridge Road where I live to the beachfront without using any fuel. <laughs> it's a skill. There's some, you've got to know the ways. But it's true. The challenges of the church, we know we can get some places, do some things, pull off Sundays without expending any fuel or even trusting God for anything majorly. And God's saying, that's not what I've called the church to. I've called the church to an advancing story. I've called the church to be a people who will pioneer and see the gospel of God advanced. Oh, I'm a part of a church, so I'm part, not in your life. What does it look like in Gerard's life? What does it look like in your life? At this stage of life, whatever stage you're in, and well, surely, Mark, every church has the same mission, and sure, it does, but we can only be honest with what God's called us to, and we believe as a church that there's a trial line. And I did tell the story last year, but... But I was watching my boy Ben's first rugby game last year. Under seven rugby. It's a beautiful thing. It's an amazing thing. They have been told, get the ball. Boy, you are strong. You're a warrior. Get the ball and you just run. And the problem is they get the ball and they just run. Because they don't know where the try line is. And his mate scores an own try, which fortunately is not a try in rugby. But the parents are shouting, run, boy, run. No, the other way. And sometimes at the church, we're running so hard, but we don't actually know what the trial line is. And so we put it on the wall. There's posters in the back. We want to be a people who reach those far from Christ. Why? Because we don't exist for ourselves. This isn't a social club. And maybe you came here for friends. Awesome. What you need is a mission with friends. There's, it's exhilarating. It's risky. It's a whole bunch of things. But you need a mission with friends. And we're going to raise people up to be like Christ, to advance his kingdom, and then to release what We're going to talk about those things. But it's important that we know we don't get to choose our own mission. It's his mission. He's pulled us by his grace into his story. He says, I want you to be a part of my mission. So I don't get to choose. Well, you know, the challenge is we all have comfort zones. We have comfort zones. And so we can choose, will I get a comfort zone? No, I, I choose what the king chooses and how he speaks and the mission he chooses. It's like Jesus says, we're going there. Uh, you know, like, I don't like, so, so you want us to go to all nations, have it all? Yeah, I just don't like Asian food, so Asians out. Don't like Australians, just as a whole, so they're out. 
don't really do America, so that's out. I'm comfortable where I am. No, I don't get to choose. And the king releases. We've just released a family to the Netherlands. They're a spirit-filled, powerful family who will love people and see the kingdom of God advance there. And whether they chose the Netherlands as their destination and childhood dreams or not, the king has gone before them. The king has orchestrated a story so the kingdom of God is advancing. And he wants to do the same with you. And like Simon, the unleashing of the power of God and the possibilities of heaven changes when we are obedient and we just say yes. We say, you know what, it doesn't make sense to catch fish in the day, in the deep, because we fish at night in the shallows, but you are Jesus and I aren't man. And so God calls us to his story to reach far. And here's the reality, and we said it last year, it's not what it costs, it's what it's worth. Twelve little Thai boys under a mountain, it's not about what it costs. No one's going, mm, we think this is a waste of money. No one said that. Did anyone hear anyone say that? No. But yet sometimes when we talk about the gospel, we talk about advancing and the cost, it's mm, time. Mm, don't really like those guys, those Milton guys. Mm. Mm. It's like, a, what's, mm, what is that in the light of eternity? And God stirs us and pulls us into a story. He says, actually, I want to be a people who like myself, Jesus, the ultimate missionary. We will reach far. We'll reach far geographically far, spiritually far, demographically far, whatever it is. It, we will risk and be a part of that story. I want to tell you to be a part of church is risky. So if you're thinking about it, you popped in here, you like heard about a redhead guy who preaches here, he's not here. I'm just telling you it's risky to be a part of the kingdom of God. God's going to ask some things of you. Why? Because he's making you like his son Jesus and he's pulled you into his mission. And I want to jump into Jesus and speak about something of a model of his ministry very quickly. In Matthew chapter 9, we see he does a few things. He, he goes, takes us on the story. He heals the paralytic. He calls Matthew a tax collector to be one of his apostles, to be one of his disciples. He, he's a guy who's gone out and ripped everyone else. He charges too much tax. Some of you are thinking too much. I'm not talking about tax today. I'm talking about Matthew, the tax collector 2,000 years ago. We have SARS people in our church. Behave yourself. He's questioned about fasting. He, he restores a girl to life, and then he heals some blind dudes. This is just what Jesus does in a day. He carries on. And then we get to a scripture where it just explains some of his ministry. And Matthew chapter 9, verse 35, and Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he, saw to, he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. It's amazing. We know the scripture and people quote the scripture, but I was just looking at, and Jesus presents something of his model of ministry. It's simple. It's not complicated. It seems to be three elements. He puts it this way, and Jesus went throughout all cities and villages. There's a going out. If you want to count for the gospel, you want to see there's a going. Sometimes it's across the road. Sometimes it's to other cities and nations. Sometimes it's to the furthest parts of the world. I'm so grateful I grew up in a church where people were so obsessed with the gospel going. We had young people moving nations to where they didn't even speak the language to plant churches. But now 25 years later, there's fruit. There's abundance. There's people who've heard the gospel. One lady's name named Sandy Lauf planted and, and moved to a camp. Uh, can't even remember the place. Very cold place. I want to say Cambodia, but it's not that one. It's worse than that. Like, like, so, no, something like that. Mongolia. Mongolia. A single lady. 
a teacher, was headmistress of the school, goes and leads a, becomes a teacher in Mongolia. Why? Well, for the gospel. You know, ends up being in her class, the son of the head of state. She gets to share the gospel. We never know the possibilities of life. Simon never knew that from a fisherman, he could become a fisher of men, and he could be someone advancing the kingdom of God. You don't know the possibilities of your life when we say yes to Jesus. He says, and then he shows, says three things, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel. Number one, teaching. We're called to teach like this. In the religious spaces, he would teach in the synagogues on the Sabbath. He would teach. He would teach God. He would teach his ways. He would teach his word. He would speak who the life of God. He's called to them. We are called to do that. There is a world who will open to anyone who will put their hands up as teachers. You know that? Kids will listen to anyone about relationships. They don't ask, how's your relationship? You, don't, you can't even comment these days, most things. Cosmo writes an article. No one's phoning the editor or the writer saying, okay, you're writing an article. How can I fix my marriage? How's your marriage? Anyone done that? But the Bible says you must teach because we know about the designer of marriage. Don't say, oh, I'm single. No, tell them about Jesus. Tell them about Philippians 2 and honor and mutual respect and love and tell them. Teach. And then it says, goes on, it says, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. He, he's, he says, okay, so he's teaching God and his ways, but then there's the evangel and the preaching of the gospel, the fact that Jesus came, lived, and died, and, and there's the big story of the Bible from front to back. Proclaim it. Declare it. Oh, that's your job, Mark, on a Sunday. Rubbish. Thank you. <laughs> there is no man of God here. If you have been saved by Jesus, you're a man of God. If you've been saved by Jesus, you're a woman of God, full of His Spirit. And there comes with that a mandate. There comes with that a responsibility to tell people about Jesus, to share that which you have received. It comes with power. It comes with life. And it says, actually, it's a glorious story we get to be a part of. Proclaim the name of Jesus. Oh, but I'm accounted. Yes. When the numbers are down, sit there and tell them the hope is in Jesus. Oh, but I'm an I'm a, I'm a educator. Yes. When times are tough and people are under pressure, tell them about the hope that is Jesus because no one else is. And he pulls us into a big story. And lastly, it says, healing every kind of disease and affliction. I love that. Our Savior is a healer. And he says, you want to be a part of ministry? You want to trust him? Well, we believe in God for healing. And, and he seems to, throughout the New Testament, there's this model of ministry. People are going, what is ministry? I need to do it. No, ministry is teach people about God from his word. When you have coffees with people, just casual coffees with friends, who maybe don't know God, I would encourage you, go into every single one of them with just one scripture to encourage them. You don't have to beat them over the head with the Bible. Encourage them. Remind them of their design in the king, whatever it is. Then preach the gospel. Tell people about God. Tell them. And then lay hands on the sick and allow God to show you what might loud in the deep and reveal his glory. But I love this. It carries on in the next verse. It says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Compassion is an amazing thing. It's like some people get born with it. My eight-year-old has compassion. Since he was this big, he had walk in a room, find the one person in a wheelchair and spend the whole day with them. He'll love them and tell them how beautiful they are and amazing they are. He's got that. My 10-year-old? Hmm. <laughs> He's not that. And yet... 
I'm watching even in his little heart as we've walked with his mom who's not been well for a while. I'm watching compassion come up. Moments when mom has to lie on the bed for a lot. And in the early days, he would say, ah, oh, you're always sick and we can't do anything. Now he'll go upstairs and lie next to her and tell her that he loves her because he's growing in compassion. Compassion changes this world. And Jesus here looks at the crowd. You see the problems? We look at crowds and we just see crowds. It's a challenge for pastors too sometimes. It's just crowds, just people, just crowds. And Jesus doesn't see crowds. He sees people. He sees sons and daughters who have no way home. I don't know when last, we, we, there was a little kid um, at church the other day, lots of people in a room, and this little kid running, he just didn't, couldn't find his mom, weeping, weeping. So I picked him up, as we all would do, to try to help him find his way home. But then we've got to look at the crowds and see the crowds. There are 7.6 or so, maybe more, billion people in our world. According to the stats of 2015, 2.1 billion of those claim they are Christian. So, for, so take those 2.1 and bank them, <laughs> however that works. <laughs> Five billion people don't know Jesus. Five billion people are worshiping dead idols. Five billion people do not have an eternal story. That's what the Bible tells us. I'm not telling you that's my preference. That's what the Bible tells us. And if that doesn't move us, and shape how we live our lives and what we choose to do and the comfort zones we choose to stay in or break out of, then I'm telling you we're missing Jesus because Jesus was moved by compassion for the crowds. And the crowds are not always here. This is, this is church. Sometimes there's crowd here, but the crowd is out there. And I'm telling you, they love Jesus. Everywhere he went, there was a crowd. They love Jesus. And they were born to worship and to adore him. He says amazing thing. He puts it in context of sheep. They're harassed and helpless. See, and, and the challenges, those five billion people are like sheep without a shepherd, harassed and helpless. See, I did a funeral for a 15-year-old girl who committed suicide last year. And there were three of those in our areas in the last six months of last year. Then I sat with a pastor this week, and he had five suicides over teenagers in his area. He did three funerals in the last three months of last year for teenagers that commit suicide. People are harassed and helpless without a shepherd. It's not about, see the thing with sheep, sheep get themselves in trouble. Uh, they get themselves, I'm learning things. I have a friend who is a sheep farmer. He says sheep don't need a wolf to come and eat them. They do it themselves. They just fall over and they can't get back up. They lose their ability. If a little sheep falls over on his back, he cannot get back up. A shepherd has to be there. A shepherd has to pick him up, put him back on his feet, and start walking and guiding him in that path. It's the same. Millions in the bank or not. Privilege or not. Education or not. Without a shepherd. Harassed and helpless. And then it says, Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out the laborers into his harvest. It's amazing. You're talking about Jesus. He could have just walked the earth, preached everywhere, got everyone saved. This is Jesus. He could have done miracle after miracle, and yet he turns to his disciples. He turns to them. He says, he puts in a model. He says, actually, the harvest is plentiful. And there's this implicit in the words of Jesus is his plan. He's going to reach the lost by sending out disciples, men and women who had become like him, men and women who responded to the time he said, go out to the deep, launch out, put your nets on the other side and pull in a catch because I am Jesus. Who are we? We're just disciples of Jesus. 
on journeys to become like Jesus, pulled into his mission, and in his mission, we get his power to play our part in that mission. But I'm telling you, we don't get to choose light infantry, I'll be a pilot today. We don't get to choose what role we play. He says, I want you to be like me. So some days you're going to become moved with compassion. Some days you're going to be moved with generosity. Some days, why? Because all of those reflect Jesus and all of those bring the kingdom of God. And he pulls us into his story. Why? Because the harvest is plentiful. The harvest is plentiful. There are five billion people, probably more now, who don't know Jesus. I want to keep saying that word to you because we cannot comprehend it, but it's true. One or two of them sit in your office right next to you. Others you engage with and encounter. And you say, well, I've got the story, but I, they're not low-hanging fruit. Have you heard that term in church? It's like, I'm praying for my neighbor. I'm loving him. It's been 17 years, but he's not low-hanging fruit yet. It's like we can only, I don't get it. The Bible tells us that every single person, every single one, is born to be sons and daughters of the living God. Every single one Jesus came to die for. For God so loved the world, not the church, the world that he gave. And he pulls us into a story and he changes everything and he reveals us the strategy that he sends his disciples out. He was training up these disciples who are going to train up other disciples, as it says in 2 Timothy 2.2, 2, who are going to train up other disciples to teach and reach and be a part of that story so that the world can change because they'll see Jesus in his disciples and the way that they respond. I want to tell you in the application of this that life changes, God has called us and we exist because Jesus loves lost people. Now, I don't put billboards up on, are you a lost person? No, that doesn't really land well, and people don't know what that means, and really, that's just a little weird, but it's the language of the Bible, and we look at Luke 15, the lost coin, the lost sheep, the lost son, and we look at the Father's response to each of those, and there is a reaching, there is a breaking, there's a crying out. It's got to break our hearts. It's got to move us and motivate us to lives that look different, where we get pulled into his mission and we get over the smallnesses of our prejudices or what we do or don't like about the coffee at church or the light box or bread. I mean, maybe that's just, thank you for getting over that one because I know it's a big one. And um, I want to jump back into the story of in the deep now, Simon. And Simon's a fisherman. And Jesus just chooses his boats. I don't know why. He says, Simon, I want to get in your boat. He says the same thing to us. I'm going, Jesus, why did you choose my boat? At 14 years old, I was a hooligan. This mouth that you used to preach the gospel was a mouth that hurt people from wicked keeper scrum off. That was my life. I mean, literally right there, if you play sport, you know who I was at 14 years old. Why? But I don't know. And then he says, Simon, I want you to obey and I want you to put on the, it doesn't make sense. And Simon does it. You know who Simon becomes? Simon, also known as Cephas, means Peter, gets pulled into a story. You know, Simon becomes, he becomes the first guy to preach the gospel to any of the Gentiles. For the whole of Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Jesus exists, and they only ever preached to the Jews. And in the early part of the Acts, they had only ever preached to the Jews. Why? Because all of the disciples were Jews. They'd all been part of that story. They were all in that story. They had prejudices, smallnesses, that it limited, that's not for them. This is our Jesus, our kingdom. He came to restore our kingdom. And some of that was still inside of them. 
And then God speaks to a Roman soldier, to a Cornelius, a master, and, and he was a Gentile. And God engages him and, begins, and, and, and in a vision says to someone, actually, guys are going to come. They're going to call you. And you're going to go minister to this guy. He goes and ministered to the first of the Gentiles. The Spirit of God, Acts 10, comes upon them. And the gospel begins to go. And Paul begins to preach. And the gospel begins to advance into the Gentiles. Think back to Simon, a fisherman, catching nothing at night. Jesus, into his life. And all he does is he say, I'll follow you, Jesus. He becomes the guy who opens up the gospel and becomes the first to see a Gentile salvation. If you have not been Jewish in your life, you are a Gentile, according to that. Simon played a part. And all he did was say yes. It's an amazing thing. I look at that and go, the grace of God that we get pulled into his story. The grace of God that he pulls us. The grace of God that, that, that we get pulled into a story called the gospel. I, I, I've preached the gospel to most of my friends, my best friends. I've had the privilege of being a part of most of their salvations. I'm not saying that in any arrogance or pride. I'm just telling you. I got hooligan mates. Most of them still loving God, involved, live around the world. But there was this guy who was at school with him. His name was Clifton Smithers. He was a hooligan, Durban boy. And I joined a company where Clifton was a year ahead of me, and he was that guy. You know, everyone loves Cliffy. And we had a motto, work hard, play hard. And Cliffy's job, really, was to make us play very hard. That was his mandate in life. He had the fancy credit card with the unlimited budget. And his only time he got rebuked by his bosses was for not spending enough on making sure that people played hard. That was his job. So back to the low-hanging fruit picture, he's not that. I'm 21, 22, entering a corporate world. I feel very grateful for the job. You don't want to stir the boat. And I've led my friends to the Lord, so I've been faithful. And, and about a year and a half into that journey, maybe two years, this hooligan encounters Jesus in a most spectacular way. He finds Jesus. He gets saved. And then we, we meet up. I say, Cliff, I've heard you're at church, dude. What's going on? You know what he said to me? He said, why didn't you tell me? He doesn't know. Those words haunt me. Why didn't you tell me? I'm like, you weren't low-hanging fruit. That statement doesn't hold right there. Why didn't you tell me? Well, you didn't seem ripe. Why didn't you tell me? Well, you know, I don't live in guilt or shame about it, but it's something that reminds me that there's a mandate on my life to be a person who would reach far for Jesus. Why? Because eternities are at stake. And life now is at stake. People think they're living. They are hopeless. And it's not just people without money in the bank that are committing suicide. It's people with billions in the bank. And it's not just people where it's all going wrong that are doing crazy things. It's, it's people who it just doesn't make sense. This church was planted by a couple named Wally and Shirley Gersma, who literally grew the church by fetching people. They fetched them. If you were his person at Checkers, sorry for you, that's your day. If you lived in Jenny Lane, sorry for you, this is your time. He would have life group on every night of the week just because that's when they said they could come. 
They live the life, and I'm telling you, life change is a mandate on us as a church. I can't speak for every other church. I'm telling you, for us, there's a mandate to be people who will reach far. And I'm telling you, God will do things like Simon's life and take fishermen dealing with stinky fish. I'm not a fisherman. Some of you are fishermen. I don't like fish. They smell. But he takes them from that, and then he uses his stinky boat and turns it into a pulpit for the gospel, preached by the king of kings, the greatest preacher ever. And he makes him someone who preaches the gospel to the enemy, the Gentile, to see a Roman soldier, a, a commander, come to life. I feel the challenge of us at this time, the same challenge Paul gives in 2 Timothy 4 verse 5 to Timothy. And Timothy is this boy raised by his gran and his mom. Timothy is sickly. Timothy is timid. He's known as timid Timothy. He, he's told you must challenge and you must ride. Then Paul writes to him and gives us this challenge. I want you to do the work of an evangelist. I feel like there's an Amanda. Some of you are like, I'm not an evangelist. Why? Because you watch some dude in a white suit. That's what an evangelist looks like. It's such a small picture. An evangelist is someone who t- shares the evangelons. Evangelist is someone who has a God story. Evangelist is someone who knows about Jesus and can share that. Sometimes soft-spoken, sometimes to one, sometimes to thousands. Do the work of an evangelist. But it starts by... Do you have compassion on the crowds? It starts by, will you tell your story? It starts by, will you say yes to Jesus? One story in one scripture. I walked into church this morning and Impele said, what's that on your arm? And I've got quite a scar. It's from there to there. It was about 120 stitches. And um, in a backwater uh, hospital in middle Natal. Because on a camp, we were chasing the small kids as you do in an all-boys school. Not more detail needed. And, um, and I was chasing one particular kid named William Goss. And it was fun for me. And um, he ran through a window, although I looked and, and I ran through the wrong one. And my one I ran through was his window slide behind another window. I ran through two at the same time. And um, not very bright. And I uh, know that's what some of you are saying. And... Um, but you know what happened was the most amazing thing? All my mates who I'd grown up with, all my mates who should have gathered around me, all my mates were so scared of the masters and the discipline that would come from being involved in such an incident, they ran away, got back in their sleeping bags, and went to sleep. <laughs> True story. But one kid came back, William Gars. And William Gars ripped his shirt off. And William Goss tourniqueted my arm. And William Goss probably saved my life because then he went and got the masters, got me in a car and got me to hospital because blood was pouring out of my arm as everything had been cut. And the problem is everyone's going to need that at some time. And the problem is too often I think the church, we back down into the world that looks more like running away. And I think we're going to be asked, why didn't you tell me? And that's not, an, not something to put on you, but it's a reality. When, because I've done the funeral of girls who've committed suicide, and I've done it more than once. I've done funeral of young peop- funerals of young people who died well beyond too soon. And I'm telling you in those moments, you cannot hide from the reality that you do or don't believe in Jesus. You cannot hide from the reality that eternity is real or it's not. That this is the story and that's it or it's not. That in that life I was a dog, in this life you're an ant, and the next one, who knows, or it's not. 
And the gospel's got to grip us. And compassion has got to grip us. Paul writes it this way. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 19. Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I become like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak, to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means, I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel, that I might share in its blessings. And I look at Paul's life. A man of high status and learning in a previous world encounters Jesus, and he gets pulled into this story. And you know what gripped me there about a year and a half ago? I was reading that. I've read it a thousand times. It says, to the weak I became weak. We live in a world where weakness is not admired. We live in a world where we do everything to not be weak. We live in a world where you don't aspire to spend time with people in the weak part of their, time, their lives. There's a lady at church who, two or three years ago, her husband died in an accident, and her testimony is everyone who were their best mates disappeared. And she encountered Jesus and found family. But it's an amazing thing when you are Paul, an apostle, a gifted man, and you say, to the weak I become weak. There's something that's moving you there, and it's not a principle. Sharing the name of Jesus is not a principle. Compassion is not a principle that works. Jesus, his heart, his mandate, his call. It'll change everything. It'll change the way you see the world. It'll change why you love people. And not out of, we've got to get them to church. No, this is not a church growth strategy. This is a Jesus discipleship reality. It's different. Want to follow Jesus? Be prepared to reach far because he's going to take you further than you ever thought. Ever thought. I loved, I went to a church once on the south coast of Natal. The guy leading the church took over. He was a prisoner in the Second World War. He, and the guy he took over the church from was one of his wardens in that prisoner of war camp. And I thought, God, if your gospel's not real, this would not happen. And the world cannot understand this. And I want to be like that. I want to be like this guy who was in a prisoner of war so that Jesus gets all the glory. Can we pray? Can we stand, actually, for a moment? More than, I just pray a deposit. I'm praying this prayer more. As I've realized as a father that my job is to teach my sons who he is. So I have to be more like him. And there's a prayer I've been praying a lot lately. It's this prayer, Father, break my heart for what breaks yours. I don't like the journey and I don't enjoy where it takes me sometimes. And yes, I do cry quite a bit up here, but I also cry more out there because when I think God looks at the brokenness of our world, there's a lot of weeping. But God says, I've given you the answer. Tell them. I've given you the solution. Tell them. I've given you the way to life. Tell them. Do the work of an evangelist. Do it in your way. Do it in your style, but do the work of an evangelist. And I promise you on the other side of that, I can only imagine the exhilaration of Simon going, I was in a boat fishing. And then Jesus showed me when he raises Jairus' daughter. 
And then I'm on the Mount of Transfiguration. We see the glory of God. And then I'm in Gethsemane with Jesus. And now I'm here in the home of a Roman soldier, of someone who was my enemy. And we're crying together because we're loved by the same king. I can only imagine the exhilaration he felt in that moment. And God got that for each of us. It's not the privilege of a preacher. It's the privilege of every son and daughter who's prepared to allow their heart to be broken. What breaks us? And I pray, Spirit of God, right now, more than a strategy of a church, more than a mission or a mandate or any words we would put to it, I pray, break our hearts for what breaks yours. To the weak, that we would become weak, not out of principle, but moved by compassion. That we would be not too proud to get on our knees and not too proud and arrogant to speak in the face and the fear that would rise up. I, I pray, God, move us. Allow us, when we look into your eyes, to see what you see. When offense wants to rise up, I pray it would be silenced by what you see, God. When prejudice wants to rise up, I pray silence it by what you see. When any smallness that would come up to limit your sons and daughters sharing your goodness, I pray, God, we would see what you see so that you get all the glory, King. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Spirit of God. Move us. Move our hearts, God, for what moves yours. Can we say that? Break my heart. Okay, we're going to have to say it together. Break my heart, Jesus, for what breaks yours. I pray let it start close to home. Let it start with your family. Let it start with your neighbors. And let it start with the people that God's put in your world. But then he will explode your heart for the nations of the world because that is the mandate on your life and my life and his church. We worship you, Jesus. We honor you, King. We love you, God. Thank you for the grace that we have received. That, that you would get all the glory. We praise you.